New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. Hello, I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Today, I'm hosting Phil Cousineau. He's the compiler and author of the book, Burning the Midnight Oil, Illuminating Words for the Long Night's Journey into Day. Phil, welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Thank you, Justine. It's great to meet you in a cafe where I'm on home ground. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) This book really uh, takes us holds us, is a ball of light for us, for our night's journey. And um, you came across a quote of graffiti in your younger years that was on a wall, and it says, it takes all day to get up and all night to get down. So that was kind of an inspiration for this book, wasn't it? Yes, because I remember those days when it was quite common for everybody to moan and groan about how hard it was to get out of bed and to drive across Detroit to get to the factory. And I think people still do that all over the world. But at night, there was something else came over. George Herbert, the great 17th century poet, once said, Night makes me bold. I've always loved that. I love that. Isn't that something? Night makes me bold. And that's what came over all the other factory rats, as we called ourselves in those days. Because people, these men and women together checking out would say, yeah, it took me all day to get up and now I've got a different kind of energy. I'm going out on the town. And what that meant was some rabble rousing, but it also meant you were claiming the night. You were exercising what? My main man, Bob Seeger from Detroit, used to say, my night moves. Night moves. <laughs> and so that's a little sexy, but it's also a shout of freedom, which has always meant a great deal to me, that the, in some way, the world, the man, the system owns you during the day, but the night is the realm of freedom. That has energized me all my born days. There's one quote that you have in in the book, which I just love that you pulled out from. It's a forecast by George Carlin. So share that wonderful forecast. Uh, George Carlin, one of our great tricksters, holy fools, once said, tonight's forecast, dark, continued dark tonight turning to partly light tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) So it's funny and it's a wonderful (laughs) use of, of language and also rhythm, but There's also the echo of what I'm trying to accomplish in this book. There's a play on words in the subtitle of Eugene O'Neill's brilliant play, Long Day's Journey and Tonight. My book is a long night's journey and today. And I believe, especially for those who have some anxiety about the night, some nervousness, maybe even fear about the night, a collection like this of poems, stories, song lyrics can be a a kind of lighthouse, uh, a bonfire to show you that you're not alone at night, that there is a way in and there is a way out. If you keep moving, you will see the dawn, which is always a triumphant moment, which is echoed in uh, Charles Lindbergh's beautiful autobiography, by the way, where he describes what it was like to fly without sleep for three days. 
to get over the Atlantic to Europe. You included part of that yes. in, in the book. It's a beautiful, it's beautiful a passage. beautiful passage where he's saying, I'm fighting the urge to sleep, fighting the urge to sleep. I have to stay awake. Well, there's a literal danger That's there. Right. He could fall into the Atlantic and never be seen again. But there's an element of that that I've encountered with many filmmakers, artists, painters, musicians, writers, where you keep want, you want to push it. You want to push the limit, push the envelope. You might have to tell your husband, your wife, or your kids, don't mess with me. I'm going deeper. I know that that song is right around the corner. It's that urge that the deeper life is somewhere to be found in the shadows of the night. Phil, you do a lot of traveling now, way, way beyond Detroit now. You've been the world over. And this piece is a piece from Istanbul. And I would love for you to share it with us. Blue Mosque Reverie. A white crescent moon passes behind the Sultan Ahmet Mosque, suddenly glazing ancient Istanbul with silver light. The medieval stone archway's bowered garden frames the six needle-shaped minarets, twenty-four smaller domes like a bold border in an illuminated manuscript. In and out of the God-sourced dark night fly great white streaks of seagulls, as if retracing the arabesque patterns on the mosque. Near the jasmine-scented garden walls, a peacock cries like a sleepless baby, a cry, the ancient Sufis believed, for the soul to dance. From the cafes and the labyrinthine lanes of the old city, echoes the sound of slapping dominoes and haunting Turkish folk songs that crackle on old radios. In that deep pool of listening, I heard the dark consonants of long-forgotten tongues and the sultans scraping prayers on old cobblestones wet with rain. It was long ago that this would happen again. Mm. Long ago that this would happen again. When I read that and when that really went into my heart, I was reminded of something that you do and that you encourage all of us to do in your creativity work and your workshops on creativity is, is to really notice things, to be in a high awareness, alertness, to anything that's going on. And when you when you talk about the streaks of the seagulls, I mean, it's like, how often do we stop and watch the streaks of the seagulls? This is one of the great mysteries of the night that I've loved, but it's also baffled me since I was a kid, that when we are with the night, so to speak, when we're with the night, time vanishes. Memories come up from the past that don't come up during the day. We're also deeply rooted in the moment, as I was walking around the Blue Mosque that night in Istanbul. I saw everything. I smelled everything. It was all happening instantaneously. And at the same time, I felt something happening when I wrote this prose poem, which projected me into the future. I could see it being published. I could actually visualize it in a book someday. 
I think that happens to other people also. Time is sandwiched in. Memories come up. We are appreciating. We're paying attention to the moment. As Arthur Miller writes in Death of a Salesman, you must pay attention. Do you remember that immortal line? And yet, if you are in that moment, you can also apprehend. You can visualize what is about to happen. I think that's one of the mysteries of the night that I'm circling, 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 like Rilke talks about, circling the ancient tower. And I don't know if I'm a, a falcon, a song, or a great bird. Storm, a, a great, great storm, storm. great storm. Oh, yes. That's it. We're circling, we're circling, we're circling. And often it's the, the first here, the first visual isn't the one. You have to take a breath. You have to stop in a moment like this. The people I was with, they kept walking on behind me. I remember we were walking outside of the mosque. I was with two or three other people. I was rooted to these old flagstones. I had to pay some reverence to that moment. And when I did, everything was imprinted upon me. And the sound of the dominoes. I mean, that took me to my grandfather, and we would play with his ivory domino set. And that was a very special privilege when we would be there and we would click them, click them and knock them over. And, and it was... I'm, I'm glad you raised that because if I had just written... People were playing dominoes in the cafe. It would have... They would have just been static words on the page. But when I write slapping dominoes, you can hear it. Especially in that world, the, the domino players just don't casually set down the domino, they slap them. It's almost a competition. Who can slap them the hardest? But the idea there is I'm hearing the slapping dominoes because it's the nighttime. I wouldn't have heard those right. during the day. This is part of the magic. You smell. I was smelling the jasmine. I was hearing the peacocks. When people say, I feel more alive at night, this is what they're referring to. All of the senses are heightened. There's a glorious a story by Flannery O'Connor about her peacocks at night spreading their plumes and screeching, crying like babies. I love that piece because all of my senses are heightened when I read that. And I imagine her senses were heightened when she wrote it near the end of her life. One of the thoughts that I had as I was reading, I, I remember like driving home from San Francisco airport in the middle of the night. It's three o'clock in the morning. I'm by myself. I'm in my car. And you're on 19th Avenue in San Francisco. And there are these houses on each side. And there, there are garages underneath the houses. And, but the people live on top of their garages. And you see these bay windows. Mostly they're not curtained. They're just open. And you, you go by and you see the flicker of lights like a television screen is playing over here or some other light over here. Somebody's up over here. I often wonder about that, like I'm thinking about these people and I'm driving down this lonely street. And that's what your book reminds me of. Uh, thank you. Th th there's a lot that I believe is numinous, a word I vastly prefer to sacred. <laughs> the, the numinous is a great old wor Greek word that says the gods are nodding at you at that moment when something is sacred, but there's something active in there. Some nights are numinous when you are driving down 19th Avenue and suddenly you feel almost the Edward Hopper loneliness of the blue glow of all of those homes. People aren't in the town square like they might be in Bologna, Italy. They're alone in front of a television. 
But that's profound in its own way. Uh, several months ago, I was in a bookstore in Santa Cruz, and they gave me a bookmark with the sale of my book. And I looked down, and it was a simple little poem by Charles Bukowski that took me eight months to track down who had the rights to it, where it had been published. But it was so simple and beautiful, I had to have it in the collection because it's the ordinary set next to the extraordinary. And the sacred and the mystery of the night is in both. It's a very short piece. It's called Warm Light. Bukowski writes, Alone, tonight, in this house, alone with six cats who tell me without any effort all that there is to know. <laughs> Speak to us about that. What, what grabbed your heart in that? The clarity. Here's a man who's been all over. He's been with everybody. He's had a very colorful, a kaleidoscopic life. And he's written about that as well. And yet there's one night he's all alone, probably with a big bottle of Jack Daniels. And yet he looks... He's paying deep attention, which is what all of us have to do. That is our task in life, to pay attention. And he looks at his cat, and because he's paying deep attention, the cat is his guru for a few seconds. The cat is transformed into a kind of avatar. And he realizes, I don't have to read the Upanishads tonight. I don't have to put Beethoven on. The cat is telling me all I need to know, which is being present right now. I don't think he could have written that during the day. There would have been too much else happening. And this is why so many of us love the night. It pulls us back into our deep core. And there are lots of people who are talking about how to be present and so on and exercises and workshops and blah, blah, you know, <laughs> gurus, you know, the whole thing. But it, what you're seeing is like, it's as simple as that, being in the moment in the mundane, which is also, as you said, numinous. It's big. It's just being present. If you can do that, I really believe that you collapse time. You feel more intensely the memories of old, and that can be troublesome because some demons can come up, of course. That's why people are often afraid of the night, and they do not want to go there, as they say in the colloquial. But those of us who are kind of harvesting our past, which is what we do as writers, we want to or we need to go there. But you're rooted there. You're also getting a vision of the future, as I said. And that is beautifully expressed in this one passage from Galileo's journals, something that he wrote while he was inventing the telescope. And there is one passage where he has finally found the lens that is allowing him to see some of the craters on the moon. And he's feeling so deeply the moment that he's got to write about it. He's sketching what he sees through the telescope. He's writing personal feelings down in the notebook. And then he says, at some point, we will be able to look back upon the earth and see that it is as beautiful as the moon is to us as we look at it now through my new telescope. You see what he's doing there. It's astonishing. It's almost prophetic the way he's doing it. You're able to project yourself like a Rod Serling could with the Twilight Zone. I'm serious about this. He was taking the anxieties of the day, the anxieties of the horrible experiences he had in the Korean War. He works through those horrors that he saw, and he excavates our own terrors of the night and allows us to live through them and see that there is something liberating 
about the Twilight Zone. Oh, the, exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. And and in that that looking back, he really saw. He foresaw that beautiful image that finally did come back to us. It became the icon of the latter part of the 20th century to see that blue, blue, green earth hanging there in space. Earthrise. Earthrise. Uh, Just an, an amazing image. And our old friend Joe Campbell believed that was our greatest modern mythic image. Remember when I was working on The Hero's Journey, our film about Joe's life, he was talking about all the commonalities we have across time and space and cultures. So that's what I want to concentrate on. Everybody else has been writing about how different we all are in the world. We'll never find anything that we share in common. And I got inspired to find seven different mandala-like images. So there's the uh, rose window from Shark Cathedral. There is the uh, spiral painting from the Navajos. There was uh, the Celtic drawing in the Book of Kells. Seven of those. And the final one was the photo of Earthrise. And when you juxtapose those with all these other mandala images, you realize that that photo of the Earth rising that the astronauts are taking from deep space, that's the modern mandala. And Joe said, that is the image that might finally pull us together. Right. When we see, not just think of and um, kind of condescend to this notion that we're all at will or something like we saw the image and that is the one that will ultimately pull us together right exactly and i think of another just briefly to in this conversation is to say something about the other commonality we have is our joy of storytelling and how important that is to human culture Yes. Was it um, Meryl Ruckheiser, the great poet, once said, the world isn't made up of atoms, it's made up of stories. (laughs) And there we go. (laughs) There we go. Phil, it's just been an enormous pleasure being with you today on the New Dimensions Cafe. I'm thrilled that we can carry on the long conversation. Thank you. Me too. (laughs) Phil is the compiler and author of Burning the Midnight Oil, Illuminating Words for the Long Night's Journey into Day. And if you'd like to know more about his work, you can go to his website, philcousineau.net. And that's spelled Phil, P-H-I-L, Cousineau, C-O-U-S-I-N-E-A-U. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms, and I thank you for joining us on the New Dimensions Cafe, and I invite you to please join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.